Hi, this is Pam, and this is Must Love Food. Thanks for joining me today. I have a full house. I've got John, Robin, Maddie, and Teresa, and myself, and we are here excitedly to walk through our holiday winter issue hot off the presses and we were just saying that we are very excited about this issue it is really chock full it's one of our expanded issues so it's 116 pages full of holiday and winter delights and and so we will just kind of get going Um, but I, I do want to applaud the staff for job well done uh, these expanded issues are uh, challenging um, in a good way, but um, but we're excited with what we have to share with you, and we hope you are excited to receive it. And if you're not a subscriber, but you are a listener, go on over to CuisineAtHome.com. We have $10 gift subscriptions, which you can buy your own subscription um, for $10 during the holiday period, November and December. So get on over there to CuisineAtHome.com and get your Um, subscriptions or it's perfect gift to give. We have received messages on our social media asking if they've missed their issue, when's it coming? So I think a lot of our subscribers have been eager to receive this issue as well. Yes. Um, And let's talk about the cover. Maddie outdid herself with a rolled ribeye roast and it graces the front cover perfect for the holidays, whatever you celebrate. Um, If you eat red meat, there are other options inside as well, but um, it is really stunning. It's, It's a beautiful, beautiful image. It's just luscious and dramatic. I mean, it's like one of the, one of the most dramatic covers we've ever produced here at Cuisine. Easily. Yeah. Perfect. But you know, an image is only goes so far. It tastes amazing and it's really approachable. It is doable. And so if you don't think you can do it, Maddie has step-by-step information. And so so there's visual cues as well as written cues to take any mystery or um, concern from your part uh, to be able to do this. And um, so we will get into that a little more when we get to that page. But um, so let us get going. Um, We have a nice ad there. So if you're looking for holiday gifting ideas, go to cuisineathome.com to buy some cookbooks, some swag, or you will soon be able to pre-order our um, 2021 magazine collection. So be on the lookout for that. And um, let's talk about social. Let's get social to start with. We decided this year holiday cookies are, you know, near and dear to everybody's heart. And we all have a favorite. And so we all uh, shared what our holiday favorite cookies were. And mine is uh, shortbread cookies. And it really goes uh, to my childhood. My mom was from Canada. Her dad was from England. And or my grandfather, I shouldn't say like that. (laughs) Um, And uh, we made buttery shortbread classic shortbread cookies. And in fact, I think my family goes back to actually Scotland where, where shortbreads originated. Um, so it's just a very simple cookie. It's rich and buttery and tender or it's not. And I've developed some for the magazine, but um, I, I would say I'll, I'll eat a shortbread no matter what. But um, uh, just a good buttery classic shortbread I'll take any day. And so that was that was mine. Robin, I think yours is listed next. Yes, the little chocolate chocolate cookies with the thin mints that melt on the top. And uh, yeah, that mm-hmm. goes back to back in the 
my life. Um, I used to do a crafts with a group of friends and as of making crafts for a, you know, a, a two day show wasn't enough. We decided that we had to serve cookies to all of the people that came in and, and joined our, our group and, and purchased from us. So one year, one of my friends brought these cookies and I thought they were the best cookies I'd ever eaten and I made them at home. And apparently my family thought so because they have joined us. So it's the chocolate cookies cookies with topped with the melted Andes mint on it that you and your family now um, crave it's and covet yes. every year. It's a tradition at our house now. Fabulous. And Teresa? Yeah, my favorites are uh, a blast from the past too, a family favorite. Uh, my Nona Anna's Italian Bonat cookies and uh, she would only make them once a year for Christmas and it was worth the wait. They're, they were just melt in your mouth delicious they're deep fried pieces of i think dough i've had them with not your nanas but i think right. i have that yes <laughs> yeah they, they were they're pretty amazing i i just i love them and i i have fond memories of them i'll just interject right now i'm purse i'm right now reading um stanley tucci's uh memoir oh, yeah. taste yeah and um yeah. It makes me think when you talk about your Nana and this kind of thing, this would be totally something that he would have grown up with, um, yeah. probably. And I grew up on the East Coast and have uh, my sister-in-laws from a full Italian family. I'm part Italian, so I appreciate that, um, those cookies and, and their traditions. Maddie, you were up next. Oh, yes, I know which one. Mine. <laughs> Not necessarily a Christmas cookie in some people's eyes, but it was definitely a Christmas <laughs> cookie in my family's eyes. We would always make monster cookies and um, use red and green M&Ms and take turns, you know, stirring it because like the best way to stir it seemed like to be with your hands. Then you'd get all messy and uh, but they're always the best cookies and you could eat them for breakfast or lunch or any kind of snack. <laughs> it's Christmas. <laughs> I say if you say it's a Christmas cookie, it's a Christmas cookie. It's whatever it has meaning for you and it's your tradition. Exactly. And John, I loved yours. <laughs> uh, I reread it again this morning. Mr. Grinch. I feel really bad now. I feel really bad. I just... It's like I Because your mother labored over many cookies. <laughs> no, don't feel bad. As a mom who's been through that with you, in the trenches with you on those cookies with the kids, I got I feel your pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's true, but it's not very holiday spirit, is it? <laughs> so the idea being that um, you had uh, done sugar cookies for eons, or or maybe not eons, maybe you cut it pretty quick um, with your kids, and it was just too much no, labor. Actually, it was it was the demand that we have this tradition, you know, and I think. As we got over it, the kids, and by kids, I mean my daughter, demanded that we do this as tradition. So she's all about tradition with Christmas nowadays. So um, we we came close to actually starting the beast up again last year, but <laughs> it didn't happen. We ran out of time. But So what you really liked are the cookies that others brought <laughs> to a cookie swap or exactly. whatever. Yes, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because most people make a God's plenty at Christmas yeah, <laughs> or the holidays. Yeah, yeah. Usually do a nice variety. It's all about <laughs> sharing. 
it's all about sharing. <laughs> sharing is caring. And Teresa will tell us that when we get to the cookie part or the, the candy part, but we were not there yet. So I'm just going to move it uh, into the tip section. Uh, if there's a tip in particular you want to call out, Robin, um, do so, or we can move along. Well, or Oh, there's a lot of fun ones in there, but I got to tell you one that I just had to print because I could just see this. I could see this guy doing it and um, it's the one where he's crushing the, it's Michael Pappas from Washington, D.C., and he sent this oh, okay. about crushing the garlic oh. with his coffee mug. He's standing there making breakfast, and he's he's got his coffee brewing, and he needs to crush the garlic, and so this is how it came to him, and he just used his coffee cup, which wasn't full of coffee yet, and just smashed the garlic, <laughs> and um, he did you know <laughs> It just tickled me so I thought, yes, that's not a bad idea, and I could just see somebody doing that. So I'm like, it's got to be, it's got to go in the magazine. So, <laughs> well, and that's I will good. tell you, um, the Zap It. I've used that one recently uh, on um, how to uh, get your butter soft enough by using defrost. So I've been doing that, and I will also say, right. just kind of a special shout out, the Dress for Success. Given that. Thanksgiving is fast approaching and this podcast will air before Thanksgiving. If for whatever reason you are making dressing and it comes out and it's still soggy that uh, this um, Hector Cor Corrales uh, from Tucson, Arizona said he was, he, that happened to him and the dressing was still soggy. So faced with hungry company, he didn't panic. He simply spread the dressing onto a baking sheet popped it back into a 375 degree oven uncovered and baked it about 15 minutes. So he had the perfect dressing ready to serve. So never right. fear, and there is a solution. Absolutely right. Let's go back to the zap it with the, with the butter in the microwave. And she does it on, that was, you know, Danielle Fisher. She does it oh, on defrost yeah. um, for not mm -hmm. more than 20 seconds. But the key to that one, I want to just point this out. So I want sure. read the tip, of course, not more than five seconds at a time. And it works like a charm, but you, Where do you have turn to just, it. Yes, you have to turn it and watch it and not, you know, just do it like every five seconds because, boy, it, it goes from perfect to to melted. Um, but it's a great tip. It works really well. Um, so I just thought I'd throw that out to remember to don't just turn it in every 20 seconds on defrost. So there we go. There Thank you go. You. Fabulous. Some great tips in there. Fabulous. Um, okay, John, anything of a uh, special note that you, I mean, I, there's three here that I see that I, that I think are pretty cool um, gadgets for the holidays, but um, in, in the now. In the now, right. Uh, we've got the Challenger bread got pan. the Challenger bread pan. I liked it a lot. I enjoyed that using that pan. I want to use it again. <laughs> so I might have to borrow it from the test kitchen. I thought it worked oh, well. Oh, no problem. And then um, he just sent me uh, another thing, which is a mat for proofing, a proofing mat, heated mat, keep the proofing going along. You know what I also liked oh. in that section, John, uh, was the, the mixes that we got sent in. I, I, I want to yeah. second those mixes because yeah, the, from Blue really Diamond good. Almond, they have cake mixes. And the flavor of them are absolutely wonderful. Well, and it's funny. I have my, I also loved the um, Ember 
the wine aerator and the finamil grinder, which I thought was a kind of a fun look on one hand where you can grind spices and there are different pods that you swap out. I thought that was kind of fun. And I will also give a special shout out to why we cook. If you have somebody in your life that, especially if a woman into food, I think this would be a wonderful holiday gift. It's beautifully illustrated with some bright images, but it's um, stories about 100 women who are um, essays, recipes, and all of that. Um, And it features food writers, restaurateurs, activists, pro chefs, home cooks. So I think everything that you curated here, John, is really worth a shout out. It's uh, really wonderful products for kitchen or for gifting. Yes, very much. And Seasonal Kitchen this time, Teresa took um, a turn and she uh, relied on family recipes for candy making, but it was sort of more streamlined candy making. There wasn't a, I don't think you had to get a thermometer out at all, right? There was no there was thermometers like that, necessary. Right? That's correct. No thermometers necessary. No, no, no candy. <laughs> so do you want to kind of walk us through what you have here? Sure. So uh, first I want to say this is kind of uh, dear to my heart because my mom and I um, really had a lot of fun in the kitchen during the holidays, baking and making candy. She would always say she wasn't the cook in the family, but um, I think that's just because my dad was a chef. She said that because she made the best candy, cookies, soup, and Being a French-Scottish ancestry, she made better meatballs than my Italian father. I have to say that. (laughs) So so I think she sold herself a little short. But but anyway, we'd have a lot of fun uh, making um, candy during the holidays to give away or to keep in the house because we had, you know, how many guests that you have during the holidays and we'd present a, a big candy tray uh, when guests would come. So these are four or five very easy candies to make. Uh, we have marble chocolate bark, very easy to make. Uh, Panucci, who, which is sometimes a little difficult to make, but this recipe streamlines it quite a lot. Uh, my favorite, the caramel pecan turtles. Um, munch mix that everybody loves and my sister's very favorite are these toffee squares covered with chocolate and nuts and they're all worthy of gift giving and serving and the panucci is kind of a um a light fudge right yes light colored fudge yes it's a brown sugar fudge instead of a chocolate fudge Mm -hmm. that was very creamy Um, light yeah yes I love bark and I am a, um, I love turtles too. So those are probably my two favorites. And I did, I, I like the toffee squares too. I thought, well, they have a little bit of, um, kind of that shortbread crust. So I have one complaint though. And I yeah. missed out on the bark. I, I think it was all consumed before I ever got any. <laughs> I, I think you're right there, John. It didn't last very long. But, I had everything else. It was great. Well, nicely done and perfect for gifting um, or for hoarding, (laughs) whatever you choose to do. (laughs) A little of both. Exactly. 
Okay, so cuisine tonight, Robin was the mistress at the stove on this. These were sheet pan dinners, and uh, she had a really nice array of recipes, a chicken parm, quesadillas, which I just thought was kind of a fun, brilliant way to do a quesadilla. I really loved this. And sheet pan beef ch Chinese noodles. I've never seen that kind of thing either. Um, usually, you know, you don't need to walk. You don't have to... Um, stand there and and kind of time everything perfectly to and um, so I th love that and um, and the sheet pan um, pear stuffed pork chops yum. Well, what uh -huh. I like about the sheet pan dinner is you do your prep and then it's yep. and then it's done. <laughs> and, and you know and that, <laughs> you know that is a nice thing about stir fries. You do your prep, but in this case, on the stir fries, you do your prep and then you just put it in the oven <laughs> and, and it was right good. now it's not a it's not the same as a stir fry in exactly but you've got those flavors going and so it's a nice you know a nice take on one I guess you could say and I did enjoy those quesadillas they were kind of fun and it feeds uh -huh. a lot if it, it, it does it makes a lot mm -hmm. and so it feeds a lot and they are nice warmed up so if you have leftovers easy to heat up you know, reheat, and so leftovers weren't a problem um, for me. And Robin, like these were my these were my <laughs> very favorite. They were crispy on the outside, and all the elements on the inside were so creamy. And this is a delicious recipe. Oh, thanks. I I'm glad I'm glad you liked it. The chicken parm, easy peasy. Um, the stuffed pork chops. I kind of like a stuffed pork chop. These are pretty easy as well, and and the potatoes on there. It's a lot, I will say it's a lot on the sheet pan. Um, and that's why we would, and also we went to the broiler at the end uh, to get the nice brown on there. So everything could get done um, and still get a nice brown on your pork chops because it just is far more appealing to me with our eyes. And I wanted, I wanted them to look pretty. So uh, broil on the end, make sure everything was cooked through and looked pretty. Well, and I think you just had nice variety too. Well, thanks. Um, um, from a range of types of recipes and proteins and all of that. So, and then I, I liked that you put them in the oven and then you can just finish cleaning up your kitchen. Yep. Um, you know, whatever you had done for prep, clean it all yep. up, comes out, you're ready to eat. So there we go. Fantastic. So, so good. I am a, Thank I'm a you. convert to sheet pans. So. <laughs> well, go. if you're going to do a that sheet pan really or a baking, <laughs> yes, there we go. because and we're going to talk about in. them <laughs> in wares. Um, so John had the task of roasting a lot and baking a lot of um, ingredients, including cookies, batch after batch after batch of cookies, <laughs> and um, to test a variety of cookies. One of them was ants. a Christmas cookie. Um, <laughs> 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 they were sugar cookies. Um, is there anything of note you'd like to kind of call out here, John? The one thing that I came across regularly is to buy, you know, if you're going to be using your sheet pans a lot, you want to get heavy duty. You want to get something that's restaurant quality. There's right. a couple here, the OXO and the Rachel Ray, they look good, but that's for light duty. It's for, you know, not everyday use. On the other hand, uh, the top marks for the KP kitchen, for instance, is something you can use day in and day out that we would use day in and day out in the test kitchen. So. I do like the professional qualities. It makes a difference, I know. And especially when you're, as you said, day in, day out using them. I mean, we we 
overuse ours or, you know, we're using ours more than than the average bear at home. But we're also at a variety of temperatures and things like that. And so um, you want to make sure that it's going to last. But so I think that's something that everybody, I think, will enjoy kind of reading through and understanding what the um, kind of how you you came to decide what you decided. Yeah. Uh, ooh, yeah. Here we go. Okay, Test kitchen favorites. <laughs> yes. I came across these actually on a social media post and I thought, wow, those look interesting. And so that was on my on my wish list to make. And boy, I was glad when I got that opportunity. Um, they're fun. They really are fun. They're easy. Uh, so they are different. Japanese pancakes. Oh, yes, I should oh, tell yes. everybody what we're talking about. Yes, they're Japanese pancakes. <laughs> and they're light and they're fluffy and they're like little souffles in that texture. They're like, but they look like a pancake that are, they're just a pancake on steroids, I guess, because they're light and fluffy and they're brown on both sides like a pancake and they're delightful. Tall. They're tall. Yes, they are. I found it best to make them in a, in a, like a ring mold because you need that support to help them to rise. Just like you do with the souffle, you want them to rise up and they kind of need And what that. is the, what gives them the lift? Can you kind of tell us what egg what whites the, yeah, they, is they, for that? Right. Egg whites and uh, baking powder, I think. Is it baking powder? I get the two confused sometimes. It, yes, it is, is baking, baking, baking powder. powder. Yes, it is baking powder. I don't want to tell you to say wait. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, and I, I also have a touch of um, of cream of tartar in there to help the help with the sure. egg whites. Um, Stabilizing, sure. Right, right. And you know that's not a hundred percent. You won't find that. It not everybody does that, but not everybody puts egg whites in their in their cream of tartar in their egg whites anyway. But anyway, uh, we have that in there. <laughs> Just another little help, I guess, to make it work. And then you did um, a couple of um, sauces or syrups that right, were a couple of syrups. Yeah. And these, well, I gotta tell you, these were a hit with my. I had some left over, and these were a huge hit when my grandkids came over. <laughs> and we were we had we had regular pancakes, and I said, okay, what kind of syrup do you want? And they looked at me like, what? There's a choice. And I said, well, yes, there is. So we had uh, there's a blueberry orange with maple. And there is a caramel buttermilk. They loved them both. They didn't, there wasn't a consensus until they tried them. And then they're like, ooh, yes. Then the, actually the caramel buttermilk actually won them over. That was, ended up being the favorite. But I love them both. I really did. They're fun. They're, and, you know, if you have leftovers, they do stay in the refrigerator uh, for a couple of weeks. And um, they're yeah. yummy. And they're, they I well with the pancakes. Um, uh -huh. And also good on ice cream. I particularly liked the, the the image of the blueberry pancake syrup. I love that image with and and I like the opening image too with the drizzles. I just think they're um, and you show the height of the pancakes. I really liked um, both of those images a lot. Can I ask a question too on baking powder? I, I we used to have a colleague who really could detect um, when baking powder was in something. I'm sure because of the um, aluminum. Um, I prefer is it Rumford, which does not have it does yes. not have a, yes. It will say on there, aluminum free. Yes, but I'm not yes. sure that all Rumford. Do you notice the, free? Do you notice a difference at all when baking with with or without that in there or? I am not as sensitive to it as she was, but yes, I can. I can taste the difference. I so can too. I, 
notice okay. a difference in taste, but not in how it works. I, I was going to say, I notice a difference in taste now. And so I do seek it out as well. But I was curious because you do a lot more baking than I do if you noticed a difference at all. And so, and I, I haven't, have but I don't do as much baking. Okay. No, no, I have not noticed um, a difference on that. So thank you. There you go. So to each his own. Um, Lisa, did you? There we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you want to say anything about the images, Teresa? Because I, as I said, I, they were particularly pleasing to me. <laughs> well, I was really excited to shoot this uh, opener image because uh, I knew these were going to be tall and I wanted them to be super dramatic in their height. And I think you can tell that you just want with the drippage of the yummy um, syrup off of them, I think you can tell you just want to stick a fork in it and eat it. Yes, I and mean. nice. <laughs> yes, and nice styling, Robin. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and they're my favorite. Uh, uh, yes, we want to eat these. We're gonna devour them. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, cuisine for two. John had the dirty task. <laughs> Um, not at all, of uh, wowing us with three different curries, a red, a green, and a yellow curry. There's a little primer on the front, and we do know that the <laughs> names on the bowls do not correspond to the order of the curry primer in the bottom. Uh, the red is in the middle, the green is on the bottom, and the yellow is on the top. But I'm sure they were separated just so that you could... Um, distinguish probably the yellow and the green, which if they were next to each other would look a little um, yeah. too close for comfort. But yeah, so um, I, you, you know what, I can eat curry on a shoe. I love curry. <laughs> and so, or I could eat my shoe if it had curry on it, I should curry say. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, any, you want to kind of just walk us through this, John? Well, I think, um, they're pretty basic recipes to, to keep it approachable and to try to, and to show off the best elements of the particularly particular color of the curry. So uh, the red curried beef is, is very traditional, as is the um, green curry pork, both of which uh, are just outstanding. And I think the thing also is, is that any curry will work with any of these recipes. These are just a little bit more well-defined by the colors. So if you wanted to do yellow with the beef, go ahead, you know, so. And uh, it got really confusing though, I will say, between what some people thought was the hottest, I, I kept getting contradictory information. And somebody would say, oh, the red's the mildest. And somebody else is saying, no, the red's the hottest. And no, there's just, just like a stoplight, you know, like a stoplight. and it's like, okay, yeah. so the yellow's right in the neutral. And, well, other ones are saying, no, yellow is the mildest. And so, so I think it's for your palate to decide. <laughs> I always thought that green was the strongest and yellow was the most mild. Um, mm -hmm. But it probably does depend on the, unless you're making your own, um, and you know what um, chilies you're using in it. Um, it could just be dependent yeah. on the brand of curry paste that you use, I was right? Say that it's brand dependent. So, um, sure. And they, they usually come in a fairly substantial amount. Um, there's some smaller cans that you can find at um, Asian markets that are probably used up quickly. If you don't like one, you can try another one. 
I, like I said, if you've never tried curry before, it's, it's a very kind of, you know, classic Southeast Asian preparation. Uh, the beef was definitely hands down my favorite. Was- I, I was going to say, I yeah. really like that one. I, I don't know. I like the pork one a lot too. Mm-hmm. I, I did. I, I like them all. I really had a hard shout time. Shout out for the shrimp, of course. Shrimp, I know. <laughs> <laughs> But I have to I have to go off what you said, Pam. If you've never tried curry before, these are three of the best curry recipes I have ever had. And I think we all agree they were delicious. And that's why they made our staff favorite in the visual index. Exactly. This whole story. We couldn't pick a favorite. Yep. Well, and also, John, you you also, as you mentioned earlier, uh, they're all approachable, which is really nice. So it's they're not challenging recipes um, in like, you know, really challenging technique or anything. So it is definitely something that you could whip together. Um, just get the ingredients and it's a very doable thing for a lot of flavor. Yeah. A lot of people associate it with uh, spice heat, but you don't necessarily, you know, you can range that at any given time if you're very sensitive to spice heat. But I, I kept them mild pretty much. So if you want to move yeah. on forward with some heat you can yeah and you can add a little bit more curry paste if you want a little more heat or something or just that's what the rice is there for the starch that will help um you can also add um a little bit more broth or or um coconut milk too to sort of dull those just a tad bit if if it's a little too assertive for you Um, but rice is your friend in this case. There you go. That's true. Very true. <laughs> so next we have, uh, you know, we're, we're in soup season and um, a lot of people like to make soups for holiday meals or the night before a holiday or, or um, just because, because it's winter, because it's getting cold. And um, so Maddie and I uh, worked on this. Uh, we have a, this was so good, a lobster, um, a lobster um, with coconut and corn and a steakhouse soup with mushrooms and rosemary, carrot miso soup with some crispy crispy shallots on top and uh, excuse me, chicken wonton soup with ginger and five spice. Um, The lobster is uh, so good. You you basically steam the the tails and then you're going to make a little um, stock you're going to pull you're going to take the meat out you're going to use the shells and you're going to make a little bit of um with the the shells and some of the cobs you cut corn off of a cob and so you're making a stock with those elements and then you're adding it that's what you use the base of your soup and um so then of course some butter which is great corn and onions and all of that kind of stuff garlic ginger um and then you add the stock in that you've made and um, then puree it up, and then you're going to stir in some lobster um, at the end, and it is just delicious. It really, I think that's something um, to consider for a holiday meal or um, maybe New Year's or something like that, depending on what you've got going. And um, and then Maddie, do you want to talk about the steakhouse soup? <laughs> yeah, no, I thought this one was really tasty. Um, it was kind of, it, it's not very thick, like you would kind of think mm-hmm. for a steakhouse soup, which I liked. It had all the components mm-hmm. like steak and mushrooms and onions. Uh, the rosemary was a nice addition um, just to kind of tie all those flavors together. 
Um, and personally, you know, sometimes we got to do things that we don't necessarily enjoy, but, you know, the blue cheese really hit home that steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as you said, it's it's not as thick as a lot of like steakhouse soups you would think of. And um, we do tell you to sort of range the flour that you're going to add in to sort of get it to the thickness that you like. But it was just a lovely flavored soup. And if you like steak and mushrooms, which I do, <laughs> and blue cheese, yeah. you're going to like this. <laughs> a little Good stuff. Um, <laughs> carrot miso soup. So this one is pretty straightforward. It uh, take a kind of two pounds of carrots. And uh, I used a food processor, the shredding blade, and just shredded them all up. You can also use a mandolin, but I'm telling you, your food processor just makes very quick work of it. And um, kind of all the the usual suspects, onions, garlic, some ginger. Uh, This is using low sodium vegetable broth. So this is a vegetarian soup. And um, And then miso adds, um, oh, that's what I was going to say. Sorry. What I was going to say about the steakhouse is it's got great umami flavor. That's really what that one drives in. But this is the white miso added here. So it's, it's the mildest of all the misos. It, so it does add some umami, but it is, it's a little sweet too. And, um, but it does add some of your salt component so I really enjoyed this soup and crispy shallots are so good. Just slice them up and then toss them with a little flour and, um, and then fry them up. And it, it's uh, the best Scooby snack as you're making them. And it's the best Scooby snack on top of the soup. <laughs> well, and originally this soup we had on its own and we we're like, it had so much flavor, but we we're like, gosh, it's missing just a little something savory. And that was the perfect amount of, like salt and savory just to bring it all together. And the chicken wonton soup. I yes. love this one because I like five spice. <laughs> and if you are a little sensitive to the five spice, you know, you can always go down a little on that as well. You know, I mean, all of the recipes, if you're kind of hesitant on some ingredient, adjust accordingly. Um, but this one was really good. You kind of made a broth. And had that kind of simmering while you made your little wontons. And I mean, it was, I've never really had wonton soup before. So it was very tasty. Well, and you use the food processor to buzz up the uh, filling for the wontons. And the one thing that we did um, kind of notice that over time, the, the wontons will sort of break down if they're sitting in the soup, if you've got leftovers. So it is one you probably want to eat maybe a little, little more quickly in one, one sitting. I was, I was okay with that for my leftovers. You could also pull the wontons out and store them separately and then bring them back together if you're reheating. So totally, but lovely. Ooh, I'm sorry. I'm turning the page. <laughs> There we go. We moved from soups yeah, yeah. into Thanksgiving, and John had the um, honors this year. He did a dry brine turkey with all the sides, but his real emphasis was on trying to make Thanksgiving manageable uh, with a little bit of prep ahead and not overwhelming um, somebody. So take it away, John. Well, I think uh, the first thing is the turkey and the dry brining, which is, um, uh, what is it? I have it in quotes there, immersing the bird in just herbs, spices, and other seasonings. There's not really any 
liquid that it's literally immersed in. And then you let that sit as much as you can in a, a refrigerator, but uh, uncovered, borrowing a technique, Chinese, uh, Beijing duck. Um, and it allows the skin to dehydrate. And when you consider so many of these birds have a lot of uh, basting liquid added to them, it really helps to make a crispier skin. So if you have the time and you have the space, uh, you use this dry brining. That works really well. It, it's not. I'm just going to add frying the the turkey, <laughs> <laughs> which we have done, and I believe that's on our website. So look on our website mm -hmm. for that. I think variation. Yes. I'm going to also just say that this opening spread especially is a beautiful shot um, you guys um, Teresa and John you guys did a lovely job there thank you yeah. and then uh, fun to put together yeah. <laughs> so I had the the corn pudding with butternut squash it was a little bit of a fail in that um, I originally developed it for, with delicata squash by the time we got around to shooting it the delicata had run out of its season so <laughs> I, I had to punt and use butternut squash uh, but we do we yeah, do mention that you can substitute with delicata and and you like that better right i like that better because it's a lot less you're just seeding them and slicing them you don't have to peel them or right. anything else par cook them so that worked out really right. well uh, and then the others are just favorites, uh, potatoes au gratin and uh, seasonal. You're not necessarily getting cranberry sauce, but you're getting your cranberries with the green beans. And you made an easy make-ahead turkey gravy, which is fantastic. So you can make that a day or two ahead and then just reheat it. So one last right. thing that you have to kind of do last minute. Exactly. I mean, and if you will... As you let your turkey rest, there will be some pan drippings that you can supplement uh, the gravy with as you reheat it. So that works out nicely. Yay, raw. <laughs> Yay, raw. <laughs> uh, so next we have a little feature on um, Dutch ovens, really just kind of breaking down, pun intended, hey, uh, the anatomy of a Dutch oven what uh, the material, what they can be made of, the size, the shape, the lid, and how it works, uh, because it is Dutch oven season and it is gifting season. So um, it's a invaluable um, piece of cooking equipment, I find, um, Dutch ovens. They, uh, we like cast iron. You can, do, you can just do a standard like Lodge, which are pretty inexpensive. I, I like the enameled ones because you don't have to worry about seasoning or anything and you can pretty much cook anything in it. And including, I'm just gonna turn the page. Uh, next we have, um, you could use it to make a soup, a stew or a chili, which we have in our class, kind of giving you the differences between what is a soup, a stew, a chili, uh, what the similarities are get into what is broth versus stock, what is a mirepoix, cuts of meat um, that are typically used in, say, a stew, cooking vessel, as I just mentioned, and then chilies, which can run the gamut. We kind of explain the difference between that and heat source, as in spicy heat source, um, and then some techniques that you typically use in any of these type of dishes, uh, sweating, deglazing, pureeing, so we get into that. And then we also do a kind of an analysis of um, 
uh, broths and um, what when you're choosing a high quality broth, what to look for. And then we also have options here for making your own broth, our homemade chicken broth, or you uh, to make an easy veggie option um, using that same recipe. So, well, just the whole taken as a whole, you have the the Dutch ovens, you have the soup stews and chilies, and then you have the broths. It is yeah. soup season. And it it's is. a perfect time for uh, this issue to hit all that stuff at the same time. Same time. Right? Yeah. Thank you. Quite timely. Yeah. Quite timely. And yes, because this issue is both a holiday and winter issue, and winter runs into the beginning of next year because um, spring issue will come out in uh, late February. So this will bridge till then. So, but let's wake ourselves up with a little breakfast wake up, i.e. Um, bake casseroles. Maddie and Robin uh, had some fun with this. Um, I love the first one here. Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, in this it's, first one, the Italian bagel breakfast casserole, um, it kind of came together. We were trying to come up with some new spins that we hadn't done. And, you know, the everything bagel is still so popular. But, you know, what can you do with some if you have extras? I know it's kind of like if you have extras or buy them just for this. <laughs> I think that might be the case. <laughs> buy them just for this. It it's really, perfect. I mean, those bagels made a huge uh, roll in this casserole and it was very tasty. Um, you kind of had some freshness from, you know, the tomatoes and, um, you have cheese. It's just very tasty. It is. It's a really, a, it's a different, uh, breakfast casserole and it, it was just really yummy. Well, you had me at, at everything bagel. <laughs> I know. I right? them. But then the other one was tasty too. It was a Spanish frittata with soy chorizo. And we did make note, if you um, do want to use regular chorizo, that is fine as well. We just like the soy chorizo. It has great flavor. Um, it's not as greasy. It still has some grease to it. But I know um, if you're going to use the regular chorizo, just make sure you probably drain off some of the extra drippings just to, right. kind of, you know, take away some of that. Um, but this had some yeah. fun flavor and um, poblano and some onions, and we're using Swiss chard, both the leaves and the stems, which is kind of fun because we don't always talk about that. Um, well, everything that is makes completely it, edible. It makes it practically health food. Right, you're getting <laughs> well, well, and it's also vegetarian. It's also vegetarian uh, by using soy chorizo too, which is nice. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. no, and so it was, this one was just as good as well and still comes together very quickly. Um, all these breakfasts were about an hour or under. So that was another kind of key thing. We wanted to make it or, easy or if people are, you know, if it's for company or just, you know, to have some good options. Right. And, and Robin, I think you're the hash queen. That's <laughs> me. <laughs> I don't know. But so this one is a sweet potato uh, breakfast hash and has sausage. And so I used a, a mix of sweet potatoes and Yukon Golds. And and has diced red bell peppers in there and has, you know, breakfast sausage and Parmesan cheese. I just really liked it. And then um, eggs that are cooked on top of it. So they're like sunny side up eggs. And if you don't want to use sweet potatoes, you can use like you can use all sweet potatoes. Or you can all use all Yukon Golds, whatever you have or whatever your preference is there, too. We like the mix. It's colorful and it's it was tasty. Yeah. So. 
it's another sheet baking camp. sheet. <laughs> well, so. I didn't want to say that, but yes, yes, it is another baking sheet. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I guess I, once I started on that baking sheet, I just couldn't get rid of it for this issue. <laughs> um, well, if you invest in a new baking sheet, <laughs> yeah, now you know what to do with it. Have lots of uses for it. Mine get plenty. Mine get a real workout. <laughs> so anyway, uh, these are great breakfasts. They're all three of them are just, you know, they're just a little bit different and tasty and easy. There we go. Yeah, yummo. Uh, well, and let's, I mean, I would say those are all like comfort breakfast too. And we're just kind of keeping the comfort theme going by getting into some baked casserole comfort. And Robin, you did two lovely bakes. The first one is baked spaghetti with two sauces. And uh, I oh. really, really love this. And uh, chicken and broccoli pasta bake was delicious, but the first one, I the the meat sauce, I think, is what really got me the most. Yeah. I loved it. Well, this one was inspired by a dish that I had actually um, at a restaurant in the Mall of America. I'm like, this was so good. So I that was my inspiration dish, and it was similar. It had two sauces, and so you know, I, boy, I love a good Alfredo sauce, and I love a meat sauce. So I thought, let's do it, and yeah, it was pretty delicious, and you know comfort food is like my favorite thing in the whole entire world. So then that led to the chicken and broccoli with the pasta bake, um, because who doesn't like a casserole? I've not probably met one I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's me. And so then that one has, um, it's got the topping with the uh, like Ritz crackers and, and Asiago cheese and Asiago. some pecan pieces. And that's in the top. And then it's got, uh, you know, a creamy white sauce for the base with the pasta and chicken. And, you know, chicken is cut up in chicken breast cut up in pieces. You get your broccoli florets in there. There you go. I would say comfort food has met its match here. <laughs> I mean, you can't get more comforting than this if you tried. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. If somebody, if some, I've had people ask me that, you know, over the years, you know, what, you know, what kind of cooking do you like? Like comfort food, uh, <laughs> comfort food, I, and it just, it, I try to branch out, but that's just my jam, I guess. I mean, there's nothing better than baked spaghetti with Alfredo sauce and meat sauce. Meat oh sauce. my gosh! <laughs> well, you don't have to choose that way. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Nicely done. Thank Delicious. And, and um, well. <laughs> they, oh, they fantastic. And okay, we gave you a little drum roll when we looked at the cover, and now we're getting into the rolled um, ribeye roast that Madeline uh, put together. And Teresa and Maddie um, beautifully styled and shot. And so please tell us about it. <laughs> Well, it's so funny to think back on this. Like, I remember I had some family over for Easter and I was testing, you know, this for them to try. So it was kind of like Christmas for Easter, you know, <laughs> they all loved it. Um, I know I sampled. So with this, I wanted to sample it kind of on a smaller scale as well, just because um, if you are having a smaller gathering, it does work as, you know, just kind of you can get a smaller size um, adjust your fillings. Um, but it really is 
simple. I mean, it's hard to kind of pass on a ribeye roast, period. It has already such great flavor. So trying to figure out what to do differently with it was a little challenging because, you know, I like my steaks kind of just plain and simple, but the the herb filling really kind of highlighted everything and made it very seasonal and kind of feeling like Christmas. And um, we've got rosemary and some shallots and garlic and parsley. Um, but the trick about the ribeye roast was kind of how do we do it differently versus just whole? So I had seen some people butterflying it and uh, we've done butterflies before, like on pork or some different roasts. Uh, so it was kind of a fun spin to do on a ribeye roast, which kind of some people might think is, well, you know, it's kind of a pricier cut. Do you really want to try it? But I will say if you can't get it perfectly butterflied and it, getting it to lay flat is not a make or break. All you have to do is then just fold it back to get it just into your same shape versus having to, you know, butterfly it and allow it to lay flat. Uh, but it was very tasty, um, comes together easily, can be made ahead. Um, and hopefully the step-by-step -step guide makes it easy for everyone to be able to um, do it as well. So, so, so the, I will say that I think the herb filling is not too much. It enhances the kind of steak. It really works with the steak flavor. So, and it's not too much. You're not taking away from that. Maybe just from a standpoint of butterflying. So you've got your roast, you've got the one of the short ends towards you, and you really are kind of leveling your knife kind of perpendicular to the cutting board, correct? About an inch off of the cutting board. And that's exactly. when you start kind of cut into the bottom of the roast until you get to about an inch from the other side, right? And then you sort of just almost keep cutting that way until it opens like a roll of paper towels. So it's sort of flat. Exactly. So it's it? kind of like, you know, okay. you just keep slowly cutting and opening, making sure not to cut all the way through because then you'll have three pieces or <laughs> so yeah. you're trying to keep it as one whole piece <laughs> right? so you can roll it or fold it back <laughs> right and like you said I mean ideally you're trying to keep sort of same thickness if you can but if if it's a if it's a little off or if you did cut it you do tie it together at the end so fill it get it kind of flat then put your herbs on the outside just so it kind of covers everything and you might have a little leftover to put on the outside, correct? Correct. Yep. You save okay. a little to and then you sort of as well. And then you roll it back up and you kind of roll it so that um, the fat cap is on the top, correct? On the outside? Yep. So before you tie it, just make sure whether it happened or not, putting the fat cap on top so that, you know, that can kind of melt down into it and... Um, just get nice and roasty. So you basically would start from the end that you started with cutting, because then if you roll it up that way, then the fat cap should be on top. Yes. Yep. You kind of just yep. kind of go okay. <laughs> Well, it's delicious. You made it look fantastic. And then, but it's not, it's not, you know, living on its own. There's a red wine au jus, and then there's a couple of sides that go with it that are mighty tasty. Yes, and the red wine au jus, you're using the drippings from the pan after roasting your prime rib. So you do want you know to save those and not discard it because it brings a lot of flavor. Um, and just pick a, you know, I opted for a Cabernet, um, so a nice dry red wine, something that you'd want to drink because that does make a difference with how your outcome of the sauce will be. Yes, please. 
right? <laughs> then you even have a little leftover to drink while you're making it. So uh, then I wrapped um, it up with kind of some sour cream mashed red potatoes and glazed carrots mm. and Brussels sprouts with mustard and brown sugar. Kind of just something to tie it all together, balance the sweet and savory. Um, this was probably one of my favorite meals, and I will definitely be making it again. <laughs> Spectacular. It Delicious. was. Teresa, do you want to add anything? I love the plated shot as well. I think it's just yeah, as, it's just, I, it, well, it's different. I think it's beautiful, but the drama of the whole roast is is stunning. Mm -hmm. Well, the, this was beautiful food to start with, so that helps yeah. immensely. And and just yeah. to let the food shine was the point of the the imagery here. Nicely and done. A lot of this can be made ahead, like the mashed potatoes can be prepped and made, uh, chop your veggies so they're ready to go. Um, so it was really, you know, while your roast may take a while in the oven, it can be prepared and made the day before. So you can just pop it in on the day of. Um, you can cook the carrots and sprouts ahead, too, I would imagine, because you're reheating them and the butter and stuff. So those could be exactly. kind of cooked in um, exactly. water. Uh -huh. Okay. Now, this is where I was talking about. So bread and butter. When you've got, so we really, we wanted to do something in the Dutch oven. And um, so I opted, I could do the short straw. Not really. I, I <laughs> come to, to like to, to bake bread and rolls. Um, these buttery Dutch oven pull apart rolls. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. They were freaking good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and not difficult, but they are buttery and light and yummy, yummy, yummy. Um, but they're very buttery. And so we got into a whole discussion about what butter is. And so we tell you how it's made and color, why it's got its color and, and how to store it. And then sort of different varieties, salted versus unsalted. We typically use unsalted butter in the test kitchen very rarely do we use a salted butter unsalted i from culinary school they drilled it in our head just because i think back in the day salted butter was subpar butter and salt was added to try to mask some not as good of a food and then you control the salt level uh, but there's whipped butter light butter european style which i buy at home for personal use not so much baking but for um slathering on bread <laughs> Why not add more butter? <laughs> yes. So in your Dutch oven, hopefully uh, you either have one or you are considering buying one. Here's a recipe for buttery Dutch oven pull-apart rolls. Not too many ingredients. Whole milk, eggs, uh, bread flour, non-fat dry milk, instant yeast, a little sugar, salt, and butter. <laughs> and yeah, made them in a stand mixer and put it into the stand mixer, then add flour, dry milk and yeast mix it until it's there's no dry bits and then let it stand so it can the auto lays time and uh then a little sugar and salt uh knead the dough it's a beautiful dough it really um has a nice texture and um basically let it rise turn out the dough divide it into 12 even pieces what i do is i always weigh zero out my um scale with a bowl on top of it and then weigh the entire piece of dough, divide that by 12. And a lot of times I'll go to grams for this because I think you get a more accurate measurement. It's just easier to work with as opposed to using ounces. And so then I just, it's simple math. And so then I measure each piece. I eyeball what I think it's going to be. I use a bench scraper and cut the dough. 
and um, make and then try to get the exact exact as much as you can amount and then just shape them um, kind of standard shape just pull it um, all the dough kind of to one side so it pieces pinches together and then roll it so you've got a seam that, that's closed on the bottom if you ha didn't have enough butter anyway you melt some more butter into your Dutch oven. There's some that goes into the roll, then you, you've melted some in the Dutch oven, then you lay your dough rolls into the Dutch oven, bake it covered, then uncover it, and, um, and then after they sit, after they come out for about 15 minutes, then brush another tablespoon of melted butter over the, over the whole thing. So you'll have edges around that were on the edge of the pot and then on the top. What I liked about these is that you kind of had like a little bit of crispy tops and sides, but very tender insides. And if you want really the most tender of all, then the three little inside pieces, middle pieces, um, don't have those crispy bits. But there, there's not a bad roll in the bunch. <laughs> so, so these were magnificent you, uh, rolls, and none of them were left in the test kitchen afterwards. No. <laughs> Highly coveted. They were good. Well, and they they would go nicely with I think either the Thanksgiving turkey or the um, rolled ribeye roast for a holiday, uh, whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you might be celebrating, um, New Year's, and um, or for one of the soups or something like that, maybe in a casserole. <laughs> I'm going to move into the next section. This was um, this is the time of year that people are really getting their bake on. And so this is just a little refresher on tools of the trade, tools and equipment that make your baking life a lot easier. So we get into just little discussion about baking and cookie sheets. We did the wares analysis on baking sheets, but if you don't know the difference, a baking sheet has raised sides and a cookie sheet has, usually it's one angled side and then the rest of it is flat. Is that right? Or maybe it's two angled yeah. sides. I don't remember now. And it's thinner. It's flatter. And it really is a kind of one-trick pony. It's meant for making cookies. But if you only can have one, a baking sheet is a lot more versatile because you can make a sheet pan dinner or a sheet pan hash. You could bake cookies on it. You could make a, a cake. <laughs> so there's a lot of different uses that you can use with a baking sheet but uh it, it is better to if you can have both in your kitchen to have both um but if you're only picking one we'd go with that and then we get into um glass dishes versus metal pans spring form and tart pans what's the difference talk about some round cake pans and then some tools offset spatula bench knife candy thermometer which sometimes it'll be listed as a jelly thermometer or a deep frying thermometer a rolling pin and cooling racks, all what we would consider essential kitchen equipment for baking. They will make your life easier, except you do not need the candy thermometer for the Teresa's um, candy making. That's right. It's nice to have anyway. <laughs> Thank you. It is nice to have. Uh, it's Like I said, it's, it's good for jelly making. It's also good for deep fat frying. So, okay. Desserts. Who can say no to desserts? This was a partnership with Charlotte Ree. She's out of Australia, and she, this is her first cookbook, I believe. And um, I think she works a little bit in the field that we work in, I think, in Australia, or something to that effect. Um, but this is her dessert cookbook. And what we opted for was all cakes, and we thought, okay, let's do chocolate 
chocolate, vanilla, and citrus lemon. Something probably for everyone. Uh, vanilla chiffon cake goes anytime. Chocolate buttermilk cake, delicious, perfect for maybe Valentine's Day or something like that. I am a lover of olive oil cakes, and this one is flavored with lemon. Is there anything you want to kind of shout out there, Maddie? Yeah, I thought these all three were really tasty and not overly sweet is what we kind of noticed in all three of them, which is nice. The other thing I loved about her cookbook is all the little silly puns she had kind of with each yes. of the stories. <laughs> it was just such a lovely book. The images and everything was just so cute and fun um, and everything tasted great. So, you know, these all three were probably my, you know, the chocolate I loved. Um, at first, when you were making the frosting, you didn't think there was going to be enough, but it was actually the perfect amount. It's like little things that you kind of were like, hmm, is this going to work? But all of them turned out beautifully and <laughs> great. So, you know, it, it's, I find it interesting too that you say that they're not as sweet. And I, I wonder that it's a, not an American palette that she was sort of that where she comes from. And I, cause I think we Americans tend to go for maybe a little bit sweeter, a lot of times too sweet for me, but elsewhere in the world, you don't find quite as sweet of desserts, especially in Italy and, and parts of France and whatnot. I don't know, just something I was thinking about when we were saying it. Exactly. And the whipped, um, it was kind of a, for the chiffon cake, you at the end sprinkle powdered sugar over it all instead of like adding too much sugar to the actual while you're making mm -hmm. the frosting and it was just little things that it's, it was very tasty well thank you charlotte <laughs> <laughs> they were good so after you've eaten your sweets then we wanted to make sure that we gave you um some healthy information and here's a <laughs> a, a refresher on vitamins which Manny put together. I, I love this story. I really do. I think it's just visually very interesting, but, and it says it very quickly and kind of in a, in a snapshot, what really you want to look for that you don't have to take a handful of supplements every day. If you're mindful of your grocery cart. Totally. And you know, it was just kind of something that's an easy way to get your vitamins from natural sources versus um, opting for a supplement. And I think we all kind of just need a reminder come the holidays and comfort season that we still need to eat our vegetables and <laughs> kind of be mindful. And it's just a nice little course to see which kind of vegetables are higher in some of these vitamins. And yeah, I mean, I know I always need a little refresher on to eat my veggies. So, <laughs> well, and I like that you also gave um, examples of, um, so obviously there's vitamin A and red bell peppers, as you point out here. But you also note that they can also be found in eggs, sweet potatoes, carrots, pumpkin, spinach, broccoli, cantaloupe, and apricots, as well as the red pepper. So you expand. So you've visually given them kind of one, but there you do uh, get into some other um, ingredients that uh, highlight that uh, vitamin. Totally, because, you know, not everyone likes all the same vegetables. So it's it was nice to be able to give a variety of things that you can find versus just one. Right. Well, and there's it's beyond vegetables, too. There's poultry, there's fish, there's eggs and all of that, too. So, yeah, I just thought I think it, it came together nicely. I think you guys did a very nice job. Oh, this is a, a nice, quick and easy primer that you can keep. 
You know, it reminds exactly. yourself when you go to the grocery store, include some of these items. Good exactly. point, Teresa. I think somebody could cut that out and put that on their fridge. Exactly. Um, okay. So now that we've uh, got ourselves healthy, it's time to um, celebrate. <laughs> go to the party. <laughs> and yeah, it's time to party. And there's lots of reasons this time of the year to host or have a party or go to a party. And so this is an appetizer spread, whether you want to pair it with bubbly or something else. We just thought that was fun. Um, bubbles and bites seem are definitely celebratory. There is an array of six appetizers here. There's clams, casino cakes, which I love, love, love. They um, really come together very easily. Clams Casino, I grew up on the East Coast, and so it was something that I would eat occasionally. But um, I prefer these actually to a Clams Casino. And so it, it uses canned clams, which is fabulous. And, um, you know, a little bacon, which is never a bad thing. Um, parsley, garlic, zest, lemon zest, uh, lemon juice, Old Bay, eggs panko. Ooh. And then we, we tapped into, um, the sauce for another or aioli for, from another recipe to serve these with, um, we tested a few different things, tried a few different sauces, but that was our favorite. So the one thing too, is that you can make the cakes ahead, which I really like and just chill them. And it, they do do better when they're, when they set up a little bit. Yeah. You can make them in advance. I would cover them if you're going to let it sit longer than the recipe calls for and, um, you know, make them early in the day and then fry them up later and they come together very easily. And then Maddie, this one, this was lovely. <laughs> the Gouda pear puffs. Yes. These were tasty and very simple as well. So it was kind of, you take a puff pastry sheet and you cut them into individual squares and then you're pretty much just, you know, you've got um, pears, some gouda, some walnuts, honey, Dijon, um, toss it all together, put it in the center. And um, it's very tasty. And this one came together very simple, you know, same thing, comes together pretty quickly and um, nice for a bite size, sweet and savory at kind of appetizer. And they look adorable. <laughs> exactly. That makes a difference, too. <laughs> yes. Well, and. I love the blood orange uh, marmalade crostini with goat cheese. It's citrus season. We're coming into it, I guess. Blood orange just makes a nice variation on uh, kind of a classic orange uh, marmalade uh, because it looks so pretty. I mean, it's just kind of that um, vibrant holiday color. We tried them with a couple of different spreads on the bottom. I'm a lover of like cream cheese and jelly from a kid. And I, th I don't think I tried cream cheese, but uh, I think... There might have been, I, I don't remember. Anyway, goat cheese was the sort of preferred spread and it just pairs beautifully and just, it's pretty simple. You make this in advance, make your crostini and then just um, before serving, spread them with some softened goat cheese and then dollop with um, the marmalade. And I mean, whether you want to assemble them all for guests or you want to have them build their own, either works. And let's turn the page. We've got salt and vinegar latkes, 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 latkes. <laughs> However you say um, Favorite Yes. Perfect, <laughs> perfect wrap for some caviar and creme fraiche in my mind. <laughs> yeah, we'll say in your mind, but they were tasty. <laughs> <laughs> I liked them on their own. <laughs> yes, yes. 
but it was I mean, it was just a fun concept because it's not something that you'd really think of. Um, I know every you know some people love or hate the salt and vinegar chips, um, and this was just kind of another way to get that kind of flavor combination into an you know another potato. <laughs> but it made me a believer. I I, I didn't mm-hmm. think the the vinegar was. I kept trying to place it in my mind how that's going to work, but it works great. Well, and there was some discussion of using like a vinegar powder or something at one point, but, um, and then one thing you kind of felt you learned to, to get these, I know you squeezed them, but it was to mix the vinegar in, in the beginning, right? Was that right? Yes. We mixed the potatoes with the vinegar just until combined, you know, just because it, I thought it like kind of a lot of the potatoes to soak it in a little more and not be as gummy. Because sometimes um, right. once you stir it in the flour and all of it together, it kind of came up with a kind of uh, a weird paste or, you know, it just kind of have a different taste versus sure. letting the potatoes kind of soak it in, then add the stuff just until combined. And, right. Um, right. Yeah, these were good. You can always and, and add, not you know, brush them with more vinegar if you really like the vinegar. <laughs> I think we tried that too. And that was not our favor. Isn't that right? And it, it also changed a little the vinegary, texture. but. For those yeah. who are totally, yeah. you know, all in on vinegar, <laughs> go for it. Yes. <laughs> well, and here's another kind of simple, uh, you got You took the hit with the blue cheese again here. <laughs> I know, I, I get all the fun ones sometimes, but uh, <laughs> this is also kind of a make ahead thing. You could stuff your olives Fried. at a time, but. Um, so they're green they olives, were, right? Yes. And you kind of do a, was it a martini kind of um, aioli? martini aioli. And so um, you kind of stuff the olives and then you do a little breading on them and you do a quick fry and have this little dip. So it's kind of fitting with the holidays, a martini and kind of a new spin on that. Yeah. Well, and it's vermouth and lemon in the aioli. So that's sort of the martini kind of flavor of the aioli. But that is what we served with the clams casino cake. So I would double the recipe (laughs) and go that route. Um, and last but not least is mushroom pate. And this just had a whole lot of flavor. Um, there was a mix of shiitake, dried shiitakes, and um, some creminis, kind of standard shallots and thyme, garlic, sherry, and a little bit of cream. And it just buzzed up in the food processor and came together. And it's uh, kind of an umami bomb, but delicious and uh, perfect on a plain water cracker. And these are pretty shaped, so I think they think it look <laughs> even more festive. Yeah. <laughs> What a great story this is because you can choose one, choose them all, choose a couple. I have my eye on a couple for this weekend, actually, <laughs> when we're having a birthday <laughs> gathering. So th- oh, this, nice. this yeah. is just going to serve serve us well um, wh- whenever you have a party. Keep this on hand because there's so many great recipes here. Agree. And and I, I love the opener spread, too. It's definitely sets the festive tone and it says party all the way. Absolutely. Um, well, when you when one parties, one makes a cocktail a lot of times. If you're Stanley Tucci, you have a signature cocktail, I think, when anybody <laughs> comes to, to eat. And so this time we stuck with and funny. He did a holiday Cosmo, Maddie, and he used 
cranberry juice plus pomegranate juice. And he used pomegranate seeds that he muddled. Um, thought it was very funny. Um, very fitting since but, that is uh, very similar. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think we did two that we sort of classic cocktails. We did two sort of popular or maybe more known to people and two that were a little less known. So, you know, a Cosmo is very simple, you know, and like a very classic drink. Um, And so what we did to switch that up was we kind of did a cranberry pomegranate juice versus just cranberry. And obviously you can adjust the amount of cranberry juice per your liking, which is very, you know, standard. And um, so what's in a Cosmo is vodka, triple second lime juice. Um, You can do an orange or lime twist or leave it out, but whatever you want. It's very, you know, all these drinks are very kind of add your own twist to them or touch and ingredients as well. And you can use a Cointreau or even a um, Grand Marnier, which I don't Mm -hmm. know if I'd use that in here. I would use Cointreau instead of triple sec if you have it. Yeah, exactly. Um, The other one is called a Sazerac and that uses, um, it's kind of an old school kind of drinks. And so we were kind of going back a ways because, you know, I personally, I didn't have this, but you take a sugar cube and some Pashad's bitters and um, a few drops of water and you kind of, you know, dissolve that. But then you add some rye whiskey, shake it up. But then the thing is with this, you take some absinthe or pernode and do the old, you know, stir it in the cup kind of just to get the essence around it and then drain it out and then pour in your Sazerac and you are good to go. It's a little strong, but it's uh, it's good too. Isn't it in New Orleans? I think it comes from New Orleans, right? Yeah, it's very much. Yeah, it's very much identified with New Orleans. And and Pecho yep. was a pharmacist. <laughs> in oh, in New Orleans. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I think when you get absinthe or Pernod, it also takes it to Nola. <laughs> yeah. True. The other uh, one is a classic martini. That one, uh, you know, we stuck with a gin martini. So that was just gin, um, vermouth, and some olives. Uh, And we also gave a little tip that if you want a dirty martini, add an ounce of olive juice to the cocktail um, and turn, you know, and give it a Gibson, you know, to um, swap the olives for some cocktail onions, which I think, Pam, you like, right? My parents, um, they occasionally had them at home. It was more of like a specialty for whatever reason. And maybe if they were out, they might have a Gibson instead of a martini. But uh, yeah, I like a dirty martini. So I'll probably opt for that over a Gibson. And the other thing I was going to mention too, that I did like that um, this article did is it featured a different liquor in each of the, so uh, there was a vodka based one, a gin based one, a whiskey based one, and then sidecar, which I have not had either or had not had. (laughs) Right. And this one, I think we all enjoyed. Um, It uses cognac or brandy, Grand Marnier, some lemon juice. um, And then you have kind of super fine sugar around the edge of the glass. Um, this one was very tasty. It wasn't, you know, it was strong, but sweet, you know, so it was a nice kind of balance and, um, a nice sipper. Anything with Grand Marnier is tasty. <laughs> I, see, I'm with you, the Teresa. That's what I was saying before. Like I like Grand Marnier in, um, margaritas because yes, I like here. the yeah. smoky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I had, I think I was out years ago um, at a bar in my old neighborhood in New York. And I was there with 
someone and they had an aged, like a really old Grand Marnier into the bar, like in a special case or something. And we had that. I'm going to say it was like 150 years old or something oh like that. I don't remember. Oh. It was, it was delicious. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yeah. indeed. <laughs> okay. So now after we've had all the booze, we're going to be teetotalers <laughs> moving right along. Um, we're, we're talking tea. And um, I think January, is it January's national tea month? This is just kind of a refresher on what is tea and the different types of teas, green, oolong, black, kind of how teas are even processed, how to brew. And then we get into bag tea versus loose tea. Pure tea kind of aficionados are always going to recommend a loose tea over a bag tea just because of the quality of the tea that you can get. There are, I think, now many more options in the tea bag world that it's not just kind of dregs, <laughs> if you will, that you maybe used to get, but um, it's going to cost you a little bit more and you have to look a little higher or lower. But so that's just sort of a real in-depth primer on tea and how to make tea and, and some info on it, how it's made. And then to go with tea, I made a chai spiced tea cookies. Chai is black tea, Darjeeling is what is used here, um, that's got spices in it. And so I spiced it up on my own. So I just used a black tea, Darjeeling tea as the base that's are in the cookie and then added spices that you would find in chai, ginger, cinnamon, nutmeg, cloves, cardamom. Yeah. So pretty classic little, very easy eating cookies. Um, a lot of grabable. Just one. (laughs) (laughs) I think I still have some in the freezer, actually. I don't have any of the icing, and I don't. I do have some of the um, candy ginger still floating around in the kitchen. So they do freeze, too, which is really nice. Um, so you can make the cookies in advance and freeze them and then ice them at a later time, too, if you like. And you don't have to press them, but I preferred them pressed um, just visually and also from the spreading of the icing, but that's your option. And, okay, all about rice. Um, this just really gets into um, the differences between the varieties and types of rice, different preparations and whatnot. So we get into just kind of a little description of, you know, long grain rice versus basmati and jasmine, brown, uh, medium grain white, Japanese style and Italian and parboiled and and pre-cooked. So rice, I think, is the number one grain in the world, most consumed, uh, And so um, it seemed fitting to kind of do a little refresher on that. And I don't know if I've heard rice prices have gone up, but I've heard wheat prices have gone up. And so have oats. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but apparently it's a big thing in France because they're raising the prices of baguettes because um, wheat prices have gone up. And it's been like decades since they've raised their prices on baguettes or something to that effect. I was on the news the other day. But I'd also heard um, oats were high, were increasing in price. And so I, I didn't hear anything about rice. I was just, I brought that up to ask if anybody had heard anything about rice, if, if that's affected too. I haven't heard that. I've just heard that it, sometimes it's um, the supply chain. It's hard to get rice. Well, especially yeah. I know in the beginning of COVID, it was rice and beans hard to get. Oh, yeah. 
people were hoarding them. So Rice Rice Baby. <laughs> I love that title. We might be dating ourselves. Maybe. <laughs> um, so for one ingredient, four ways, rice is the star ingredient. And um, here we've got a creamy Reese BC, which means rice and peas. Um, and this has uh, pancetta and fennel. And Reese BC is, is kind of um, risotto-like. It is a little uh, soupier, but this was just a very simple um, dish that you could eat as a side or as a main. And I really loved it. So that's there. And then there's a lemongrass-scented rice pudding with cilantro, just because um, didn't want to just do classic old rice pudding. So flavored it uh used some whole milk and whole fat coconut milk so a combo of the two infused it with some lime zest and some lemongrass and some vanilla used jasmine rice in this cooked it up added some cream and, and yolks and sugar and butter so there's a whole lot of stuff going on it's rich but it's it's very tasty and the cilantro really made it very lively mm-hmm. so if if cilantro is not your thing, then you can forego it. You could stir in some mint. I think it would be just as delicious with some mint if you are one of those who does not care for uh, cilantro. And then this was uh, Maddie, the arancini. I've been wanting to do those for a long time, and you did them, and I was so happy you did because I love them. Big fan, Maddie. Big fan of these. <laughs> I, these were tasty, and I had never had them before. But it's like you have creamy risotto in the center, fried on the outside. Uh, it was that perfect combination of crisp and creamy. And oh, and they were cheese tasty. in the center. Don't forget that. The little magic ingredient of the cheese. Exactly. Cube. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it melts away. And, the you know, oh, it was good. Let's don't forget yeah, that Yeah, I don't stuff. think I could say that I'd ever had a good arancini until I've had these. These are just fabulous. The recipe I kind of went off of, we're just calling for some cooked chilled risotto. Um, but we do have the Cuisines Classic Risotto online. So if you wanted to use that, I think I just used about a half of that recipe and it worked beautifully. Well, and you know, we didn't test this, but I'm sitting here thinking about it. I'm sure you could use, if you had leftover Reese EBC, I'm sure you could, if it was a little loose, then you probably could drain a little bit of the liquid off. Um, I I think you could probably use that as well. If there was, I mean, we haven't tried it, but I would say it's worth a shot. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. As long as it's holding its shape as a ball, you know? Um, Right. So that's pretty much what you're looking for is that to be able to, um, hold that shape and so Mm -hmm. stick a cheese in the center and run it through some dredge it in some uh, flour and dip it you know so good well and I guess probably it's also you want the um, chilled it's got to be chilled like the risotto that you're using so exactly it'll have some time to gum up (laughs) (laughs) that's in a good way (laughs) that sounds so delicious (laughs) Excuse me. <laughs> a rice and lentil salad, which we said, you know, it would be perfect to have at the holiday or any special gathering for those who are, you know, vegetarian because it was a very hearty dish and satisfying, you know. So if, if it's eating, you know, meat and you needed something or just to serve it as a side dish, this one was very tasty. I know I took a whole bunch home. <laughs> okay, John, since you made leftovers. the turkey, you did the leftovers. <laughs> 
And uh, these, I, you know, I was started the copy for it. It was only then that I realized I'd sort of uh, circled the globe there with uh, the curry type curry. butter turkey and then the Canadian poutine, Rasen El Hanout, and the Mongolian turkey. So I, I had no intention of doing that, but that's where I ended up. And that uh, gave me some Happy real accident. Stand on when I stand on when I went to write it. Yeah. Like, oh, this almost right. So, uh, the butter turkey is um, buttery. It's rich, and if you wanted to, you, instead of the curry powder, cumin, and paprika, if you've got some leftover curry from earlier in the magazine, it would be another uh, opportunity to use it there. And then oh, the, cool. the poutine, mm. I I'm a sucker for that. It's just in, it's so I decadent. I'm gonna say it's not your first poutine recipe you've developed, is it, John? <laughs> No, it's not. That's probably and see, it's I'm okay. trying to make it good because I'm using the has that uh, super yes. super veg there. That sweet sweet potato, potato. <laughs> that, that makes it all good now. It makes it calorie free, is what it does. It's oh, it counterbalances all yeah, the butter and your... butter turkey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's just wets with meat. So yeah, that's what that is. And then uh, I don't know. Do do they have wets here? I mean, that's kind of an East Coast thing. Diner, Greek diner, diner. just on the menu. What did Gravy you call them? French fries, wets. Oh, uh, I don't remember ever having them called that. But yes, uh, not something I ordered. Uh, I'm a classic French fry with ketchup or something, but. I think you also, I think cheese, I think it's done with cheese too. You can get cheese sauce on top or gravy. There's lots of that. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of diner food that <laughs> I've had or know of. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, a lot of late night diners there. Uh, so the turkey and fig worked out really nicely. Um, and I'm using, uh, I had fresh figs at the time, but uh, I think dried figs will work just fine with that. And then we're all, I think, pretty familiar with Mongolian beef at, at uh, the Chinese takeout or, or or where get your Chinese food. So this is just a spin on that with uh, turkey and some crunchy old chow mein noodles just because I'm a sucker for chow mein noodles and that crunch. So. I love them. <laughs> right well, and it's just there. a fun way to serve it as well because everyone knows to serve it with rice, but to serve it over some crunchy chow mein noodles, heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Well, and you just and you just start eating them out of the can as you stand there. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to make sure that so you're, and you're yeah, and you have to make sure you leave some for the dish. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Ask the editors. We've got tell me more this time is pomegranates, which is um, seasonal this time of the year. Had a question about Meyer le lemons versus regular lemons. So just to kind of give an explanation on that. And the old adage of should you only eat oysters in months that, now I'm trying to remember, have an R? Yes, right? Um, don't have an R. Uh, I said should eat, eat yeah. in an R. Yes, should. The, the long and the short of it is that rule doesn't really apply anymore given current um, advancements with aquaculture and refrigeration and all that kind of thing. However... Oysters are more at their peak during the colder months with R's in them because it's not their spawning season. And so they they do taste a little better. So while it's it's not that they're harmful, 
but they uh, oysters and all bivalves, I guess, are kind of better during the colder months, the R months. And uh, then there was a question about um, the bottom of the champagne bottle, which I guess I had kind of wondered about, but never had really questioned anybody about. So in some research, um, it's called a punt or a kick up. This harkens back to the days when the monks um, or the, um, yeah, I guess they're monks, uh, were first making champagne and they were using hand-made bottles, you know, hand-blown bottles. And um, this is probably early days of uh, champagne making when they didn't really know what was even going to happen. And um, so they had the top caged, and which I think they learned over time. I think they probably started with corking. And I think the pressure popped the cork out more than once. And so they caged it. And then it would be looking for the weak spot on the bottom of the bottle. And so it would blow out to the bottom of the bottle. And so it just um, inhibited their, their um, champagne making. And an arch structure is stronger than a flat structure. So they determined that they should make a bottle with an arch structure. And um, that was what worked. And that's how they were able to bottle champagne. And that's why we have it today. It's continued. And um, so no longer because we do, we really need it because machine made bottles and, and different processing better bottle uh, making doesn't really require this, but it's become sort of the thing. And some um, wine makers use it for uh, wines other than sparkling wines now. Part of it also is sometimes it, the bottle actually looks a little larger because it's um, because of that punt on the bottom. So I think it's sort of a, a trick of the eye that they are implying that they're giving you more, um, but they're not really. But anyway, that's that's the end in the the beginning and the end of that. <laughs> and last but not least at all, Robin um, pulled out the stops with ginger cheesecake and ginger cookies. Yeah, this was fun. I like ginger snaps so ginger snaps are the base of this cheesecake and um so then that led me to create a ginger snap cookie which you can make as, and use bake bake it flat and grind it up for the base and make ginger little gingerbread men for decoration so started with that you basically start out with making ginger snap cookies and you make one right. like using half the dough and you, right. you make it kind of flat to make a big right. rectangular cookie. And then you crush that up to make the, to the make crust. The, to make the crust. And you save the rest of the dough to make the cutout cookies if you want those for decoration. So you don't have to make sure. individual cookies for that for the and then crush that up. You just pat that out and make, make a big one. So you're going to grind right. it all up and, and crush that for the dough. So you've got that going. Exactly. And then you make a cheesecake. And it's chock full of, you know, good stuff. You've got lemons and, you know, you've got some lemons and lemon zest, lemon juice and cinnamon and nutmeg and cloves and molasses all into that cheesecake mixture. So it's gingerbready. There you and then as you said, you also cut out the other half of that dough and made uh, cookies to decorate the top of the, the cake and um, which you don't have to do. No, um, but, no, but if you want sure, to, it sure is fun. It, it, it's, it's, a, fun it's a showstopper. 
It is, it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you didn't want to go to the trouble of making the gingerbread boys, if you said, you know, I'm running out of time, you know, you could just put some crumbs, some gingerbread crumbs up there too, uh, on the top of that sure. cake and do something like that. And maybe some sparkling yeah. sugar go that direction too. So it's a nice smooth cheesecake. It's pretty simple, straightforward and delicious. I'll, I'll just say that. I thought it was good. And I, but I like gingerbread. So if you like gingerbread, this I is do too. for you. This bread was just adorable. I've loved everything about it. Yeah, it was a lot I'm of a gingerbread fan. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So Teresa had some good input on this one. And so I thank you for that, Teresa. We, we ended up, I think, with a really cute gingerbread uh, cheesecake just, when we got finished. I was just so excited about using the gingerbread people. And you used them in that other uh, story about the tools. Right, baking tools. They showed up again. <gasps> they did. So those gingerbread boys, they got around. They did. <laughs> so that takes us to our uh, visual index and um, and then the back cover with an adorable quote that Teresa found. <laughs> Everybody's uh, favorite, Buddy the Elf. We elves try to stick to the four the main, four food, main groups. food groups. Candy, 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 candy canes, canes, candy corns, and syrup. But we are at the end of our podcast, and um, so I thank you all for uh, kind of walking through this issue with me and with our listeners, and I hope that if you haven't gotten your issue, that it's coming soon, and if you aren't a subscriber, that you um, immediately um, go to cuisineathome.com and sign up. $10 subscriptions right now, November and December. And uh, yeah, I hope we have given you a lot of reasons to um, buy this issue and subscribe. And thank you all. Please join us next time when there will be more must love food. Until then, go to cuisineathome.com for any and all of your culinary inspiration that you might need or want for the holidays. I wish you all a very happy holiday season. Visit our site to learn about special offers, new products, and more for purchase. We offer live cooking seminars from pasta making and cast iron cooking to pie baking and stir frying techniques. Our special interest publications feature recipes centered around certain topics like feel-good food and slow cooker dinners. We also offer custom Cuisine at Home branded kitchen tools such as aprons, cutting boards, and bench knives. Shop all of our offerings at CuisineAtHome.com. <laughs>